0: I invite you to take your bulletin and turn with me to page 7. You'll see the scripture passages that we're going to be looking at today printed for you there. Continuing on in our summer series, uh, looking at uh, the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and looking at a number of themes and topics that the Proverbs give to us about how we can be wise, how we can be people who are filled with the wisdom of God. And today we come to the topic of money and wealth and riches. Listen to these proverbs and what they have to tell to us today. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a a high wall in his imagination. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to be evident. In these moments, we would pray boldly that you would be at work in our hearts and in our minds in these moments, right now, as we read your word, that the Holy Spirit would take your word and would press it into us, such that we might become more and more the people that you desire us to be. We ask you to do this, Father, because we can't do it on our own. We need you to be at work in us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Harpers had a good couple of weeks of vacation. Uh, as some of you may know, we were down in Florida along the coast uh, near the beach. And uh, I, as we were there, I was again reminded of the power of the ocean. Now, nothing bad happened to us. Nothing negative happened to us. In fact, the time that we were there, the the ocean was fairly still. It wasn't very windy. The waves were smaller than usual. But almost every single day on the news, on the local news, there were reminders and there were warnings about something called a rip current. If you've been around the ocean, then you may be a familiar term to you, but a rip current is a, a channel of water that begins to run perpendicular with the coast. So in Florida, the coast is running north and south. It would be a channel of water that would be going east and west, and it's, it has a very swift-moving current. And they're actually hard to see, especially when you're in the ocean. But if you find yourself in a rip current... You can, in a matter of seconds, be taken hundreds of yards out to sea. Uh, It's an incredibly powerful uh, flow of water. And they say that if you ever get caught in one, the thing that you're not supposed to do is the very thing that you think that you should do, which is to try to swim against the current and to get back to the coast. Because the flow is so powerful, you will not make it. You will become exhausted and people even die because of rip currents. Instead, what you're supposed to do is to swim uh, along uh, the side of it, to the edge of it, to get outside of it, and then to start beginning to swim into the shore. The ocean is incredibly powerful. Water is incredibly powerful. It has the power to produce very good things, like food for us. Uh, The power of the ocean can even perhaps one day produce energy for us. There are renewed, I saw articles recently, renewed efforts to harness the power of the waves of the ocean, uh, turning it into electricity. Uh, they've been, experts have indicated that if a system could be created to turn in energy efficiently of the waves uh, into electricity, it would produce uh, more terawatts of energy than we actually use here in our country. The power of the ocean can be incredibly good. But we also know that the power of the ocean can be incredibly destructive and dangerous. Things like rip currents, tsunamis, hurricanes, causing billions of dollars of destruction and the loss of life. The ocean is incredibly powerful. When we think of things like the ocean and the power, that they have, the incredible power that these kinds of things have. We, we must acknowledge that money is incredibly powerful. Wealth and riches are incredibly powerful. They are incredibly power, powerful to produce great blessing and, uh, and goodness, and they can be used to honor the Lord. But money can also have the power to produce incredible danger and destruction can be used in God dishonoring ways. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about money. I I didn't check this this week, but I've heard a number of Bible scholars say that the topic of money and wealth and riches is the, the most talked about thing in the entire scriptures. Why is that? Well, it's because from the very beginning of time, the idea of money and wealth and riches has been incredibly powerful, and it touches So many aspects of our lives. Proverbs also talks a lot about money and wealth. More than we'll be able to cover today. But today I want us to look and see these passages and to see what they tell us. In particular, three things. How it addresses the power of money. How it is a power for good, but also can be used for a power as a power for evil. Secondly, how it addresses why why money is so powerful, why money is so powerful over us. And then lastly, how these passages address the ways that we can break money's dangerous power over us. Let's look at these three things. First of all, money is powerful. Now, we know that there's nothing inherently wrong or evil with money or with wealth. It's not bad to have it. It's not bad to enjoy it. And we know that money and wealth can be powerfully good because of where it comes from. That's what our first proverb tells us. Proverbs 10 verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Where do our riches come from? Where do our wealth, where does our wealth come from? It comes from the Lord. There's some disagreements about how to translate the second clause in this verse. Uh, that he adds no sorrow with it. That, that's how the ESV translates it. The word there for sorrow, the, the Hebrew word, is more naturally translated as strenuous or hard work. And perhaps a better translation of that second phrase would be that no strenuous, hard self-work can add anything to it. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and our strenuous, our hard work that we do can't add to it. It underscores this first clause that it is the Lord that makes rich. It is the Lord that provides us with money and with wealth. I think we all understand that by the world's standards, by most of the world's standards, everyone who's listening to this sermon is considered rich and wealthy. And everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. It is a blessing from the Lord that makes us rich. Your riches, your wealth doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. They are His. They come from Him. They are a gift from Him. What you have is a blessing of the Lord, and so it is powerfully good. But since everything that you have is from the Lord and belongs to Him, that means that He has given you what you have to be a good steward with, to be a good caretaker of. You're called to use whatever the Lord provides to you, For good, for his honor and for his glory and to bless others. Do you have that understanding? It is the blessing of the Lord that you have what you have. Do you oversee what you've been given and use whatever wealth that you have to glorify the Lord, to to honor God and to bless others? Because that's your calling. That's your calling from the Lord God Almighty. And as you do, money is powerfully good. The Proverbs have a lot to say to us about how money is also powerfully dangerous. Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Money can bring corruption. Into our lives. This, is a, this proverb is a picture of uh, the common way of making transactions in the ancient world, the, the use of scales, where on one side of the scale there would be an item that's going to be purchased, and on the other side of the scale was some weight, some predetermined and pre marked weight. It could be one pound, five pounds, ten pounds, and it would weigh out whatever was being purchased so that the right amount of uh, currency could be transacted. Now, why do you think that this proverb needed to be mentioned, that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord? Well, it's because money can tend to make us corrupt. It was extremely easy to falsify the weights of the scales, to cheat the buyer, and it happened often. And Proverbs says it's an abomination to the Lord. That the Lord delights in just and honest ways. That's that's the power that money can have over us. It can cause us to be easily tempted to be dishonest and deceptive in keeping our money or making money. Uh, Who hasn't been tempted just maybe a little bit to cheat on your taxes? To keep some of your money? Uh, Who of us hasn't been tempted at times in your vocations uh, maybe to be just a little bit dishonest or deceptive in order for you to make more money? It's so easy. Money can bring corruption into our lives. It's powerfully dangerous, but it's powerfully dangerous also because it has the power to make us stingy. To make us lack generosity. Look at Proverbs 11 verse 26. The people curse him who holds back grain. But a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This is a a picture of a man who is wealthy with with grain. And during a time of scarcity, he, he hoards it. And he holds it back and he refuses to sell it. Why? So that he can drive up the price. So we can make more money at the expense of people not having food to eat. Now, there is nothing wrong with making money. There is nothing wrong with uh, practicing smart business tactics. But what Proverbs here is addressing is someone who is solely driven by such personal gain that there's no concern for others, even for others to have the very basics of food. Hoarding with no concern for the needs around us. When money is is what drives us, then it has the power to make us stingy, uh, to make us selfish, to to lack generosity. We want to keep it. We want to hoard it. That's particularly heinous when we remember whose it is. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. It belongs to him and not to us. We're to be good stewards with it. Money is powerfully dangerous. It's also powerfully dangerous because it has the power to make us arrogant, uh, to give us a sense of self dependence, uh, uh, even making us angry at times. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with what food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? This is actually a part of the only prayer that we have in the book of Proverbs. It's the prayer of a man named Augur. And notice what he prays for. He prays for the Lord not to give him poverty nor riches. He doesn't want to be poor and he doesn't want to be wealthy. He wants just simply to be given what he needs. Nothing less and nothing more. Why? Because, he says, if he's given more than what he's needed... If if he's given riches, then he knows that there's a temptation to become arrogant, to to, to have a sense of self-confidence, to to have a a thought that we are self-dependent, and he might deny the Lord. Who is he? What use do I have of him? I can take care of myself. I can provide everything that I need and more for myself. And by implication... He probably understands that if he's given poverty, he'd be tempted to become angry. Why has the Lord not given me what I need? Why are other people not helping me? Also, Proverbs 28 verse 11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A man who is driven by wealth and by riches is wise in his own eyes. Look at all that I have. Look at all that I have done. All the wealth that I have acquired. How great am I? Money has the the power to make us arrogant and to wrongly think that we are self-dependent. That proverb says that if we want to have wisdom regarding our money and our wealth, we ought to pray like agar. Lord, don't give me poverty or great riches. Give me what is needful for me. Do you pray that way? Probably most of us pray the first part of it. Lord, don't give me poverty. Lord, don't, don't make me a poor person. But how many of us pray the second half? Lord, don't give me more than I need. Lest I forget you. Lest I think that I am the one who provides for me. We must not underestimate the power of riches to make us arrogant, to make us angry and wise in our own eyes. But money is powerfully dangerous also because it has the power to give us false assurance. Proverbs 11 verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And then again the, the following one, 11 verse 28, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Our riches, our our wealth, they can do nothing to help us on judgment day. In the moment that we stand before our creator and we are ushered into heaven and into hell, money can't help us. We can't buy our way into heaven or buy our way out of hell. What we need in that moment is not money, but the proverb says righteousness. And it's a righteousness that we can't get because of our wealth. It is a righteousness that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you trust in your riches and your money, Proverbs says that you will fall. It will profit you nothing on Judgment Day. That's the power that money can have over us. It can give us a false assurance that everything's going to be okay. If I just use my riches, if I use my wealth well... If I'm, if I'm a good steward with it, if I even use it for God's glory, then I'll get into heaven. Then God will accept me. But the riches profit us nothing, we're told, on judgment day. Trusting in our riches will cause us to fall, the Proverbs say, not rise. Now, also, just as an aside here, I want you just to notice that our wealth is temporary. We're not taking any of it with us when we die. Where we're going, we can't use it. And we won't need it. Yes, of course, we, we can pass our wealth on to our descendants. And we can give to good organizations. And we should do everything that we can to, to prepare for that. But all wealth is eventually temporary. Money Can be powerfully dangerous over us. It has the power to give us a false assurance. It has the power to make us arrogant and wise in our own eyes. It has the power to make us stingy and to lack generosity. It has the power to bring corruption into our lives. Money is incredibly powerful. But why? Why is money so powerful? Well, look at Proverbs 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Now, what does that mean? In the ancient world, cities provided security. They would keep you safe from other nations that might invade. They would keep you safe from marauding robbers out in the countryside. They would keep you safe when there was bad or severe weather. And cities also provided significance. It was those who were of importance that lived in the cities. Those that had means lived in the city. The poorest of the poor didn't live in the cities. They lived outside the cities. The rich man's wealth provided him with security and significance is what this proverb says. It's not necessarily wrong. If our money, our wealth gives us some security, it gives us some significance, but it can be a problem. And that's what we see as we read Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11, which is connected with this one. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. A, the righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. Here we see this contrast. The problem comes when money, when our wealth is all that we look to for our security and our significance and our importance. It is ultimately the Lord where we are meant to find those things. It is the name of the Lord that is out to be our strong city, our strong tower. The Lord himself, not our wealth and riches, protects us and provides for us. Do, Do you see why money can be so powerful over us? Money is not just money money grips the heart it becomes the source of our security and significance and importance and those things are related to our heart what drives us what we are about where we find our dignity and significance money rather than the giver of money can so easily become what captivates and motivates our heart our very being and that's nothing new People have always struggled with finding their security and their purpose and their dignity from things like money. We have many illustrations of that throughout the scriptures. In the book of First Kings in the Old Testament, we are given a description of Israel's temple that was built, built by Solomon. And it was, it was an incredible amount of time and money that went into it. There are lots of details given to us of the beauty of the temple, how it was crafted by skilled architects and workers and artists. Cedar planks, floors of pine wood and gold, a sanctuary that is overlaid with gold, a golden altar, handcrafted cherubim, a display outside of the sanctuary with luxurious tapestries that had embroidery of expensive linens, blue and scarlet and purple linens. Blue and, marble, uh, blue and white marble columns and counters throughout the temple grounds. The facade of the sanctuary was 150 feet high and wide. It was sheathed in gold and it faced east such that it dazzled in the morning sun. It was breathtakingly beautiful. It was dedicated to the Lord. It was the place of the Lord's presence and His glory and where the people of God worshipped God and yet the building became an idol. For the people. They found their significance. They they found their security in the beauty and the riches of the temple. Rather than in the one to whom the temple was pointing them to. That was so much the case that when Jesus himself uh, was here on earth. He asked the religious authorities, the the religious leaders, the, the caretakers of the temple if you will. What is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And even more interesting, it's even more interesting when we remember that Jesus described himself as the ultimate temple. He is the greater and more beautiful temple. But the people of his day were more captivated by the physical building than the real thing that was in their midst. The riches of the temple had become the security and the significance of the people rather than the Lord himself. That's why money is so powerfully dangerous over us why it has power to corrupt us and to make us stingy and to make us arrogant and wise in our own eyes and to give us false assurance money is not just money it touches our very hearts it touches the very core of our being and when we take our eyes off of jesus and focus more on the things that he gives us even good things we turn those things into idols Idols that grab our hearts, that become more important to us than Jesus himself. And our money, our wealth, our riches become the place that we find our security and significance and dignity. That's what makes money so powerful over us, so dangerous over us. Are you irresponsible with money? Are you addicted to gambling? Are you constantly buying unneeded and unnecessary things? Do you fail to live on a budget and so regularly spend more than you make? That's a heart problem. Are you a person who's not generous? Is your default to to hoard and to keep rather than to give and to help? Do you do you live so beyond your means that you have nothing left to give to the Lord's work? Is your desire your own personal comfort more than helping others who have genuine needs? That's a heart problem. Are you a person who is reckless with your money? Do you use your money on things that you know are dishonoring to the Lord and harmful to you? That's a heart problem. That's why money is so powerful over us, because it becomes our strong city. It becomes our high wall. It becomes our tower that we run to rather than to the Lord. So we need to finish by asking the question. What can we do to break the dangerous power of money over us? Two things. The first is this. We need to start living paradoxically. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. And then Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is paradoxical living. Living in a way that doesn't make sense. That is, that is counterintuitive. The Proverbs say that when you give your riches freely, when you are you're generous, then you will grow all the richer. But if you withhold what you should give, you'll suffer want. Whoever brings blessing to others will themselves be enriched. Whoever waters will himself be watered. As we honor the Lord by giving him the first fruits of what we earn, he will fill our barns and vats with plenty. That doesn't make any sense. We think that if we hold back our riches, if we keep our, our money, if we hoard it and, and don't be generous with it, then we'll have more of it. But God says it's the other way around. As we give freely and generously, he provides more riches. Now, maybe literally. Maybe he provides more money and more resources to us as we're generous. But it could also be that we are given the riches of the delight and the peace and the enjoyment and the contentment of seeing how we get to bless others, of how we get to meet the needs of others, of how the Lord uses our resources that are his in his work. As we bless others, the Lord brings blessing to us. As we water, he waters us. And... Again, just in passing here, I want you to notice the middle here of verses 24 and 25. Did you notice this little phrase? Another withholds what he should give. Isn't that interesting? The context of the Proverbs was the Old Testament tithe. That was the standard, uh, one tenth of income. It was given to the Lord through the priests for the work of the Lord. Now, the New Testament doesn't speak a whole lot about the tithe as a standard, but it is interesting that Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 says that God's people should give generously for God's work. That God's people should give generously so that people will hear that Jesus is the King. How much do you want that to be true? How much do you want people to hear that Jesus is the King? Given how the New Testament often expands God's law, not contracts it, how it gives us a fuller and and, and greater sense of God's law and given the fuller and greater blessing that we have now because of Jesus's finished work on the cross, how we are given an even greater understanding of God's grace and love because of the cross. Tithing should just be a starting point for God's people. We're called to be radically generous with what the Lord gives to us. Why? So that people can hear that Jesus is king. So this is part of how we can begin to break free from the dangerous power of money over us. We can start living paradoxically. The Lord's not calling us to live recklessly or foolishly. He calls us to provide for ourselves and for our families. But here's a practical way maybe that you could start living paradoxically. Sit down by yourself or if you're married with your spouse, create a budget, create a plan, figure out how to create margin in your life financially, then intentionally set aside money to give. And over time, over years, increase that amount until it becomes sacrificial giving. That's living as a paradox. So the first thing to break the dangerous power of money over us is to live paradoxically. But secondly, lastly, in order to be able to do that, we need to have the right motivation. Final passage on page 7, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 and 9 verses 6 through 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. How did Paul. Motivate the Christians in, in Corinth to give. How did he motivate them to be generous with their wealth? By pointing them to Jesus. Jesus was rich. Ultimately rich. He had the riches of the heavenly realms as his. He had the riches of the fellowship of the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he became poor. He became poor. He he left heaven He was forsaken by His Father. He endured the pain of the cross. And He had the wrath of God poured out on Him that we deserve to experience. And why did He do it? Why was He willing to become poor? So that by His poverty, you become rich. By Jesus taking our place on the cross and experiencing judgment in our place, we get our sins forgiven and we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to our account. Jesus lived the ultimate paradox. He had all of the riches and he gave them up and became poor to make us rich. He sowed bountifully on the cross so that we could reap bountifully by having life in his name. He was willing to become poor because giving us the riches of his grace was more important to him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the more that this truth gets into our hearts and our minds, the more our money, our wealth will lose its dangerous power over us. The more that we will start to understand that whatever we have is a gift from the Lord, that it belongs to him. The more that we will start living as good stewards of the resources that he provides. The more that we will lose our stinginess and start becoming radically generous people. The more that we will truly delight in serving the Lord and others by giving sacrificially. The more that we'll find contentment in praying the prayer of Augur. The more that we will use our money and our wealth for powerfully good things. And the less our money and our wealth will have dangerous power over us. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that money and wealth and riches can often have such a tight grip around our hearts. We see our own lives reflected in so many of these proverbs. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us. That we would have an ever-increasing sense of the privilege, the blessing, the responsibility of being a steward of all that you've given to us. We pray, Father, that our wealth, our money, would cause us to give you greater glory, and that we would have a greater joy to see how you use it for your glory in this world. Help us, Father, to be radically generous. Because we know and we understand the radical generosity through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.